Welcome back to the Living on Purpose podcast with Pastor John and Sam. And here is episode number 47. Thanks for listening. Here's our next question. There are a few scriptures that I have come across about erasing names from God's book. It makes me wonder, might this mean everyone's names start out in the book of life? What's the idea behind a name being in the book and then being erased? Yeah, this is a great question. And what we're going to do now is look at three different passages of scripture that our listener gave to us. Mm -hmm. So I want to read these passages. And then what I'm going to do is go through each one and give us an understanding of each passage. And I think it's important to realize that when you see a particular phrase in the Bible, in particular this phrase, the book of life, we can equate that that means that every time you see that phrase, it's talking about the same thing. Okay. But what we're going to find out is that every context is actually different. All right. So the first verse is found in Exodus 32 and verse 33, where it says, The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. So that's the first reference. Another one that our listener cites is Psalm 69, 28, where it says, May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. And then the third reference is Revelation 3, 5, where it says, The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. So I think we think of the idea of a name being blotted out or written in the book of life. We often think of Revelation, because there's different references, even beyond the one that I just referenced for us. So what I want us to do is look at these three passages of Scripture, because again, our listener gave us a question and then gave these three references, and in essence, is wondering, is there a connection between them? And I would say there really is not. Okay. So let's look at this together, okay? First of all, I'm going to actually look at the second reference that she gave to us. It's Psalm 69 and verse 28, where the Bible says, May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Okay, so Psalm 69, we have to look at the entire psalm to understand what's going on. I'm not going to read every verse, but I just want to give an idea of what's going on. Psalm 69 is what's called an imprecatory psalm. It means that the author, David, is calling down judgment or curses upon his enemies. That's what it's typically called, an imprecatory psalm. And so David cries out to God to save him as his life is being threatened in verse number one. He describes the difficulty he's having as he awaits for God to deliver him in verses two and three. He proclaims his innocence and explains to God that the enemy's threat is in response to David's zeal for God in verses four through nine. Then in this section, the anger, frustration, fear, and heartache of David are evident, and he implies that God is not working quickly enough for his liking. Well, we've all been through that, right? Mm -hmm. Where we cry out to God, and we ask God to answer our prayer, and we feel like God needs to respond quicker than what he's doing. Yeah. We've all been there, right? We, we do that prayer, and then we peek our eye open, and has that happened yet? No. Yeah, okay, yeah. so I'm going to keep praying. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so this is this is a helpful clue that this psalm, like other imprecatory psalms, is in part an expression of great frustration and is not entirely prophetic or predictive of what will take place. In other words, we see this, this verse, verse 28, blotted out of the book of life, and we think, well, that's what's going to take place. That's a result of what's being prayed or what's being spoken. But that's not necessarily the point of it. The point of it is that there's great frustration, there's great sorrow. It's not necessarily 
um, predictive or prophetic of what's going to take place. So David is asking God for deliverance at a particular time. In verses 13 through 15, we get a picture of this. And then he adds that he's requesting that it comes quickly in verses 16 through 18, which makes sense, right? Because whenever we go to God, we always want what we want when we want it. Yeah. It's not the right way to look at it, but it is the result of human nature. Yeah. And when do we want it? We want it now. Right now. It's <laughs> fast food generation, right? Mm. So emphasizing the severity of the situation, David explains how shamed, dishonored, and reproached he's feeling in the moment, verses 19 through 21. Then he begins his, and I, I'm, I'm struggling to pronounce this word. It's a difficult word, but imprecations or prayers for the judgment of those who have harmed him, and, and that's where this statement uh, that our listener gave to us really gives an idea of what we're talking about today, right? This idea being blotted out of the book of life. Okay, so you have to understand something, though. When you read something, you can read it and equate it to mean something connected to something else that you've read. But again, remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek, and there's different cultural things going on here. Okay. So while English translations usually translate the Hebrew phrase as the book of life, it can literally be translated as the book of the living ones. Now we wouldn't talk that way. That sounds weird, right? But if that literal translation is best, then David's request would simply be that God would take the lives of his enemies. It's basically a rewording of his request in 69 and verse 25. Okay. So what's David doing? He's requesting that their names be removed from God's book of the living ones, that they be physically killed. That seems to be what he's saying. That's supported by the earlier references, and that seems to be what it's talking about. So David's not asking God to remove their name from the Lamb's book of life. He, in essence, is asking God to remove them, to kill them, okay. to defeat his enemies, to take the lives of those who are trying to take his life. Now, whether you agree with David or not, remember, He's crying out in emotion. He's crying out in sorrow. And David had different people trying to take his life all the time. He was the king of Israel. And even before he was the king of Israel, whether it was Saul who was the king or whether it's different warriors of Saul, different people trying to take his life. And of course, the Philistines were always trying to kill David as well. So it's important to understand when you read this, it's not connected to our typical understanding and revelation of the Lamb's book of life. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. And you're going to be preaching about David here in a series coming up soon, right? I am. Yeah. Good. I am. Yeah. So and we're going to get a taste of all the things that David went through and how he stayed faithful to God and even stayed faithful to respect King Saul when Saul was trying to have him killed. So Psalm 69 is an imprecatory psalm. It's speaking again of David as the author, calling down judgment or curses upon his enemies. If you read the whole psalm, and again, that's the most important thing, you read the whole context, what you understand is that, man, there's a meaning to this more than what I imagined. So David, in essence, is saying, God, please kill my enemies, take them out, remove them, get rid of them. They don't love you. They dishonor you. They mock you. They're scorners. They're haters. Destroy them, God. That's what David's saying. Yeah. So it's important to understand that. All right. So then there's another reference that our listener gave to us, and it's Exodus 32 and verse 33. Again, the Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out out of my book. I will blot that person out of my book. Okay. Hmm. So hmm. to understand this context, I think it's important 
to look back to verse 32. So the verse right before that is pretty powerful. In verse number 32 of Exodus number 32, the Bible says this, but now please forgive their sin. This is Moses speaking. And he says, but if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what's going on in chapter 32 and and before that, previous to that, we get a picture of Israel sitting against God. This is when they worship the golden calf. Okay. So God was very angry in verse 33. He said, whoever sinned against me, I will blot them out of my book. So he's very, very angry, right? Again, understanding this context of verse 33, look back at verse 32. Moses' love for the Israelite people was so strong that he was willing to, in essence, be disinherited and to be destroyed himself. That's what he's saying. He's saying, God, please forgive these people. If you're not willing to forgive them, don't forgive me either. Just kill me. Disinherit me. Okay. Now, What's that talking about? Okay. It's talking about the Mosaic covenant. God had gone to the Israelites and had made a covenant with Israel saying, if you obey me and worship me, I will honor you. If you disobey me, I'm going to curse you. Okay. So it was a covenant that was based on qualifications, expectations. Okay. In the Israelites, they had denied God. They had worshiped the golden calf and, and now they were in a, a difficult place facing the judgment of God. So untimely, premature death would constitute, in essence, being blotted out of the book. And that's what I believe is going on here again. So remember, when you look at the Old Testament, you always have to understand this is a period of time that was pre-grace. This is a time of law before the grace of God. And there's a covenantal action going on here based on the Mosaic qualifications that we just mentioned. So for Israel, If they were going to dishonor God and worship other idols, in essence, what they were doing is they were proving a lack of faith in Yahweh as their faithful God, right? They're worshiping a false God, okay? Do I believe they could lose their salvation? That's the tension, right? And salvation from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's always been based on faith. For us, it's easy because we look back on something that's already taken place. We look back on Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection. Just like we study in Hebrews, we look, we get to look back to all those things. For the Old Testament saints, they were looking forward to it, but it was always still based on faith. And so, do I believe you can lose your salvation? No, but I believe what God is saying is that these people, they've worshipped other idols. They're not with me. Yeah. And so, a lot of people claim to be with God all the time. I'm dealing with a situation again right now with someone who claims to be a Christian and love the Lord, but they they demonstrate all the time that they don't really love the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so it's not my job to determine whether they're saved or not. But the reality is, is that by your fruits, you'll know them. Yeah. The actions should back up what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so when you read Exodus 32 and verse 33, you just have to understand this is a Mosaic covenantal thing. And um, you understand it. And, and, And it really falls in line a lot with Uh, Psalm 69, this idea of being blotted out, being killed, being destroyed, okay? Mm -hmm. Now we get into Revelation. I'm not going to reference all the examples in Revelation, but again, verse number five of chapter three, the one who's victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Later on in Revelation, it talks about those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Yeah. And so this is clearly a reference to salvation, right? And the focus in Revelation, especially in chapter 3 and verse 5, it's being 
an overcomer for the glory of God. The person who overcomes, the person who perseveres in his faith has proven the genuineness of his faith. And that's important for us to understand. So to our listener and everybody else, understand that the three different references of scripture are not all connected together. Okay. The things that are going on in the Old Testament really are more focused on life itself, physical life, whereas the examples in Revelation really are focused on spiritual life. So let me give you four last thoughts. Number one, the book of life in the Old Testament and the Lamb's book of life in the New Testament are two different things. Mm -hmm. I just mentioned that. Number two, salvation cannot be lost by the person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone to save him or her. We believe in eternal security. The Bible is very clear in this. And so it's important to understand that. Number three, salvation is proven in perseverance. It's not a phase, but a foundation that's built on grace. And so we need to remember that. Number four, and I think this is maybe the most important point I'm going to make. It's not more important than the other three as far as it relates to our eternal destiny. Surely it's not more important. But in reference to our listener asking the question, I think this is the most important point. Number four, context always helps to better understand the meaning of English wording. Yeah. And so when you read something and you see it saying, in this case, in Psalm 69, in uh, Exodus 32, where it's talking about the book of life, or my book, blotted out of my book, and then you see references in Revelation, don't just assume it's talking about the same thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the wording in English, it gives us the idea or the impression that it's the same thing. But in reality, it's talking about different things. And that is so why it is important. You like that grammar there? That is so why. So why, man. <laughs> so why. So why. It is really, really important for you to study the context of what's going on and realize that that gives us real a full meaning and understanding of the passage of Scripture. Yeah. I think if you go back and you listen to all of our other episodes, I'd say probably 90 to 95 percent of the episodes are all central around context of the verses that that these questions are. And that's great. That's great that these questions keep coming in and we're able to give you a glimpse of that context. But I think that's just a great reminder for all of us really to look at what's happening in the culture, the cultural context, the words before, the words after, and not just to take each verse at face value. Yeah, we call it the grammatical historical context. I love the question from our listener. It's a great question. Um, and it just reminds us that there is a grammatical historical context of what's going on. And as you read around it, and as you begin to understand it, it gives you the answer. Yep. Yep. Hey, thank you so much for your question today. If you could just leave us a great review so that our podcast can reach more people, we would appreciate that. And we will talk to you next week.